Finding the right cleat can be transformative. Believe me, I've worn plenty during my career. So getting the right balance is crucial. The cleat needs to feel good on your foot, but also feel good connecting with the ball. The New Balance Furon 7 Plus is built with both of those points in mind, offering overall comfort and precise striking in the game's fastest moments. Because, as I learned the hard way, because I didn't possess much of it, speed matters in soccer. That's why the Furon 7 Plus is built for accuracy and precision at rapid pace and is engineered specifically for use on firm ground. Why is this the ideal cleat, I hear you ask? Well, not to get too scientific, but the Furon 7 Plus offers a lightweight yet supportive hypo-knit with mesh lining upper construction and is paired with offset lacing for a truer strike of the ball, which is a long way of me saying that your game will immediately get better when these are on your feet. Learn more and purchase the Furon at NewBalance.com. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Conrad, also known as Jim, alongside our resident hunk of a left back, Keith Pierce, and the new Hollywood, Charlie. I only hang out with Thierry Henry now, so I'm not sure how much time I'm going to have to spend with you, knuckleheads. David! Chuck, 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 Chuck. First comment's great, by the way. Chuck, Chuck, they're already they're already making shots at you in the, in the comments about your Rolex. Come uh, on, guys. But listen, before we get into today's show, where we take a deep dive into Luca De La Torre's thoughts about promotion relegation and how that mm-hmm. pertains to quite a few of our Americans playing in Europe. We want to hear a little bit about your experience getting called up to the first team in London. But before we actually hear from you right now, we have to roll this clip to hear what you had to say when you dressed up all fancy and stuff. Let's take a look at it right now. That video and I just think, I hope I have a moment like <laughs> with, with my twin boys. Yeah. I, I really hope because it was powerful, it was magical. So, yeah. I mean, What can you win to actually get there? Ah. Man. Not the World Cup. You don't think the U.S. <laughs> hey, men's national don't team doubt the will US ever win the World <laughs> Cup? You're just throwing shade, We got the man. World Cup in 2026. It's on home soil. Even if we got to a semi-final. And, and yeah, I'm a, that's sort of the same. It's not. If, if, hold up. If but, Morocco did what they did, why can't the U.S.? And yeah. I guarantee you that moment, you can replicate that moment with your two well, sons. And even, Nigeria even, have been close. Even, Nigeria have been close. Hey, even if my sons... <laughs> Get to play in Champions League. Yeah. Oh yeah. No. I mean, I mean, no, yeah. no, no pressure. Then, then right there. So he, he, okay. here's a question: Your kids have a better chance of playing in Champions League than the USA men's national team in the World Cup? Uh, I would say yes. Ah. Wow. They're going to be seven in March. 
Okay, okay. Well, I'll I'm tell you training what. them. This I'm telling you, they're going to be ready. Do they know what the future, <laughs> the future is? Because it's been drawn, hasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Scripted. No, they might be no. The Super League. I put no pressure on them, but I know I see the talent. Yeah, they, they have they, the talent. They, okay, Chuck coming out, swinging there. Total mm -hmm. faith in his kids. Now that's out there. They're going to have to live up to that clip for the rest of their lives, Chuck. Way to go. That's number hey, one. Hey, I, 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 <laughs> I have two I have two. Two boys, so the the probability is high that one of them can break through. Just but one. Won't one of them be bitter that the other one did and they didn't, and now you have no. to deal with the fallout of that? <laughs> we're, a, we're a family. We're all about love. We support one another. I love that. Well, technically, uh, from, from what I read from studies, it's always the second and the third and the fourth children uh, over time that uh, have the best chances of being the professional athlete in the family. Uh, you had yours at the same time, Charlie. So whoever, wh wh whichever one was second, uh, has a better, a better chance statistically. True. But I mean, let's be real one. I think Guillaume Balaguer was kind of just trying to rib, rib us Americans saying you guys don't really have a chance. But when you think about it, especially countries playing on home soil in these world cups, they do really well. You, you, I think you couple in the fact that our team is only going to be in their prime. And we have more and more Americans who are competing in Europe. I think by that time with the necessary experience needed to win games internationally, it gives us a really good shot, not only to get into a semifinal, but to get to a final. I, I really believe that. And I think that should be the expectations with this group. Push them. Don't settle. And I think from that standpoint, anything's possible. Yeah, honestly though, wow, what a, what an amount of pressure you just put on your kids. And uh, you know what? Sink or swim time. Sink or swim time. You know, seven years old. I'm, buckle I'm, up, boys. Well, I'm, sure, I'm sure that hey. I'm sure that clip will disappear someday, Jimmy. No one will uh, reset the status. Charlie's true. kids become. Hey, all I have to say is, no matter what they do, if they if they in a year said, "I don't want to play the game. I don't want to play soccer anymore." Fine, but I'm gonna put pressure on them. Whatever they do to be their best to a hundred percent commitment. So it is what it is, whatever happens, whatever they choose, they're going to be a hundred percent committed. Well, we appreciate, uh, that, that sentiment is the word I'm looking for. Chuck, that is, uh, that, is, that is top dad stuff there. Now, now speaking about being your best, I think this is a nice segue into promotion relegation because mm -hmm. Luca De La Torre made a comment last week that we didn't take a dive into we were caught up in some other stuff but i think we should address it now especially because we have some americans that are in a relegation fight themselves in multiple leagues and, and i and i just want to let me let me go over his quote he said the best thing about european football is promotion and relegation and that every game matters it is life or death the final there's a lot of pressure and mls it being closed that doesn't happen i can't imagine playing without that pressure having that pressure changes the way you compete the desire to win games grows and you play a different type of football. For me, they're almost two different sports. Yeah, until he until he's playing Charlie, an, no, until he's playing an MLS in five years, and and then he's that that whole narrative changes really quick. It's not so much the relegation promotion, it's the significance on every match. And the reason why there's it's so significant with relegation promotion is because there's finances attached to that. If you told me, guess what? If you stay up, you, you get to keep your salary. If you go down, you lose 50% of your salary. Guess what? That's part of the relegation promotion is 
I don't want to lose my salary. I don't want to drop down in, in level of competition. That plays a big factor in it. If MLS said, guess what? If you finish top four, you get X amount of uh, increase in your, you know, whether it's your salary or a big bonus. Um, if you finish in the playoffs, you get X amount. If you take, if you don't, then we take away something. There's going to be a lot more pressure. It's putting pressure on regular season matches. That's that. I think that's the significance that we have to think about. Not so much, hey, if if you finish bottom, you go down, and we're going to bring Charleston Battery up. I don't necessarily think that's the right answer. I think it's more pressure, and there's more meaning and significance on regular season matches, which would inevitably raise the level every single day of training and in the matches. Now, Heath, I had an opportunity to play in Europe. I went to Lech Poznan for uh, on loan after. A terrible season with the earthquakes. It was. Uh, we talked about the the that opportunity and, and getting to grow not only on the field but off the field and mm-hmm. and figuring out your identity about what you want to do and how you want to do it. Blah blah blah. But I don't want to dismiss that. But that's, that's no, no disrespect to Charleston Battery, by the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but but we've all been over there and we've gotten a taste of that promotion relegation and it and it does the pressure does hit different. But to your point, Charlie, I think that there is some distinction that needs to be made about how do we get a put that significance on, on, I guess what I'm trying to say is when I think about promotion relegation, it feels like there's more of a collective, Holy crap. We're all going to suffer individually, whether it's payment, whether it's reputation, whether it's being a, being associated with a loser and, and having to face the consequences of going down to a lower league, that is all kind of baked in. And obviously the community and, and, what it means to them to get relegated. I mean, there's there's a lot of different ties and tie-ins there, but it's interesting. I really want to continue to explore this topic. Go ahead, Heath. Sorry, I just went off on a tangent. That didn't have any ending. No, I mean, it, it, there's a few things. Uh, with regard to Luca De La Torre, uh, you cannot talk about the pressures of promotion relegation when you get relegated. And he got relegated with Heracles Almo. You, they, you are at in a scrap in a battle. Now, I agree with the pressures of... of of learning from that. But his team went down. And I'll tell you, when your team is going down, you are not getting better as a player, so to speak. Now, you're getting better with pressure. You're getting better with with understanding the significance of every single game. But I wouldn't say you're getting better as a player. That, I, that I think, is different. Um, because when you're in those high-stress environments, managers get fired, your training changes... Charlie's right. You're scrapping every day in a, in a different type of way, though. But when you go out on the field, you're just trying to look for results. It's not like you are in, you're in control of those teams. His team went down. That's a significant financial impact on, on Heracles when they go down. Now they're fighting their way, trying to get back up into the Air Divisie. But that's that's a big deal. I, I've been relegated. Uh, I was relegated from the first Bundesliga. And it's not a fun environment to be in. Did I learn a lot from it? Did I become a better footballer? maybe not a better footballer, but did I become a better professional in learning how to compete in that environment of understanding the intensity that came every day with that? You, 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 there's a lot that comes with that, but there are downsides as well that it's not enjoyable. You don't enjoy your job. You know, it's not something that I look back on and go, man, you know what I want to do if I were to have another (laughs) shot of my career, I want to be in a pro rail fight from the first day of the season to the end, but it does, it does shape you and mold you just like any sort of ad adversity during your type of career. Now, when you compare that, so before you make, before we kind of 
create a Hollywoodization of, of that type of environment. Each one's going to be different, but by and large, it's not that fun to be around. But when you compare that to uh, Major League Soccer, that means two different things for a young player than a player in their career, right? A player that's a little bit more advanced, uh, that means something different, right? When you're young, you might get a bigger shot than 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 in Heracles, who, who are going to go with maybe that. We saw this with um, uh, Ricardo Pepe just defaulting out of Augsburg as they were in a relegation battle last year, right? He suffered the consequences of that. Did it make him uh, a more well-rounded player to be in that type of environment? I'm sure it did, and it's having an impact on his time uh, this season. But yeah, there's a lot of things that go with it, but it is a lot of that pressure. But it also, the last thing I wanted to say about this uh, while I'm on my rant. I, no, I like it. Keep 50% going. of these teams spend the three, like the last quarter of the season playing for nothing. So this idea of like it coming down to the last matches, when you watch the dust settle in these leagues, you're going to have eight through 16 or eight through 14, depending on how many teams, just chilling at mid table. And you can't tell me that that's a high-pressure environment. Now, for the teams fighting for a European spot or if you're in a league that has playoffs like 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 Belgium or, or you have a playoff for, for relegation like in the Bundesliga, yeah, there is a lot that goes into the final moments of the season. But there are also a lot of teams that are not playing for much for most of the season that are just sitting comfortably, not European championship, not relegation battling, and they settle in second half of the season. And so, yeah, I, I don't want to just – glorify this idea and how you got to go through it because there's a lot of nuance to it. That's not just about like either you're fighting for relegation or you're fighting for, for playing in a European tournament. It's interesting is that I had an opportunity to speak with Roger Espinoza. He was my teammate in Kansas city. But then when I went over to England for a trip at one point, he was playing with Wigan and post Wigan, we, we reconnected again when I went out to Kansas city and asked him about that experience and, and just the Premier league plays versus playing in the championship. And he had mentioned that the team, the club, and the fans, uh, from what I understood, from his interpretation, from his perspective, was that they liked being in the championship because they could actually compete. And to your point, they could actually go and try to play. In the Premier League, they were just scrapping, trying to survive this whole time. And, and I thought that was an interesting perspective that I'd never had. I always just assumed you wanted to have that ambition to go to the highest you possibly can. And not that clubs <laughs> don't have that deep down, but I feel like that, that there was there was an element of it where they just wanted to go out and feel like they could go toe-to-toe with somebody without just getting steamrolled by by the top clubs. So that's called a positive spin to getting relegated. That 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 <laughs> yeah, is just I guess, that's bad. probably that's probably just, true. But, but if you're uh, a fan, Charlie, relegated, but I just thought that was just, I just thought that was an but, interesting but if, take if you that I had never fan, taken into consideration. If you are a fan of a club, you go and you enjoy the Premier League, if you go up, you hope for the best and it can be a couple year run if you're a, a Wigan, for example, and they've had decent runs. And then you become sort of the the top of the food chain, hopefully, uh, if, if you're in the championship where you're getting more results, more wins, more things to celebrate. If That's on a fan level, right? On the economics and all those things is completely different. But I could see some clubs or, or, or supporters not necessarily being happier in the championship, but being more excited over a championship season because you're winning more games you're you know you're on the run you feel like you're probably more the cream of the crop than you are just the team that's hoping to survive every single match for an entire season which can be pretty heartbreaking for somebody that that's a season ticket holder and going every week in week out so so let's pivot into this because i see comments and i've heard this is for many years this isn't a, a new conversation that we're having here about pro rel but charlie when it, it when it pertains to mls when these fans say, well, when the when the players have nothing to play for, when there's no pressure, 
they just sit and chill. I mean, that's essentially the the essence of of what I'm picking up. Like like it doesn't matter to these guys that they're dead last. Are you? I I just I don't understand that because for me, who who had to fight to get on the national team in a way that you guys didn't, right? A little bit later, late bloomer, as it were. I knew that if I was on the worst team in MLS, there's no goddamn chance a national team coach is even looking at my team because they're so god awful. Why is he going to spend some time looking at that? Like it that there's still plenty of internal motivations, of course, to try to get better as a player and external motivations like a national team call up that matters. It continues to drive you to go out there and be a better professional. And just that you can just casually say that the players don't care is, is, is really an interesting take and yeah. perspective. And, and it makes me realize that I wish they could go through it. So they'd understand that a little bit better, but go ahead, Charlie. Yeah. I, I would say those are the, the, the clubs that no one wants to play for because if there's a, a stigma or stereotype around that club who, you know, maybe their leadership, they don't really care. They're, they've settled. They don't, you know, once they are in the bottom three, there's no real ambition. There's no plan. Those are the clubs that don't get the players and, and they stay that way. And if you're on that team, you don't want to be there. Mm-hmm. No one wants to be a part of a, a club that has no ambition or there's no chance of turning it around. You're, you're, you're competing to, to, win trophies obviously you want to become the best version of yourself but you want to win trophies if that club has no has zero i think plan or or zero identity then i don't know if there's a way to penalize those those clubs without you know basically taking them out of the league but players don't want to be there that's for sure do you think he that and i had this conversation this was back Mid two, yeah, back in the fifties. Okay, but I had an opportunity to sit down with a uh, an executive from MLS at the time, who just casually mentioned during this run of conversation that they had five million from Pepsi at one point that they didn't know what they were going to do with it. And I said, well, why don't you put it into player incentives? Like if you if you whoever wins gets fifteen hundred bucks, whatever team wins. And at that point, if you're making what thirty grand a year, fifteen hundred bucks to to start and win is significant that that would be like oh, that's a big deal i want to see how many i can get now if you did that and incentivize your team in that way so they every player or at least hopefully it's evolved into and i'm sure maybe charlie can speak to it as a goal scorer like there were goal bonuses and and if you hit a certain benchmark you get an extra 10 20 30 nice. 40 grand right so so for us lowly defenders we don't have that as much heath maybe clean sheets we could we could say shutouts so what I, I wonder, so you have those already built into your contract, but if there was just a regular game day bonus, could you find a middle ground there that you could still cut your teeth at that, hey, if you win this one, it's probably higher now, like 2,500 bucks if you start and play 60 minutes and the team wins. If the if the tie, that's like 1,250 or whatever, and if you make the 18 and don't get in and the team wins, it's like 750. I mean, that would elevate the level of practice as well. You still have something to play for because there's a financial motivation to do so. I don't know if that's that's been yeah. done or or even if MLS will welcome it, but that's what I suggested back then to that executive, and he just is like, "Eh, we're gonna use it on some commercial or something." Which can I just point out that the numbers you're throwing around don't even get Charlie out of bed in the morning. I, I get like, it. I get it. Like, I get it. I get it. You think Charlie's gonna put on a jersey, go out on the field, and you're gonna offer him fifteen hundred bucks to to get that to get that <laughs> that goal? I, I'm talking like you better, back in the fifties, dude. That's you better throw deal. some zeros on the back. I guess I guess that Jimmy. I guess I guess with inflation, that's like a, a million dollar a game uh, uh, 
per goal bonus. But no, no, I agree. There are there there does need to be incentives. When I played in Germany, it was what what at the time was like considered a 60-40 league, right? So 60 was percent was your base. It's really 100% of, of your salary, but you can make up to 40% more on bonuses, right? Whether you started or you came in, whether your team won, you had a personal bonus and you had a team bonus. So you had per point uh, win bonus and you had a per point team bonus based on whether you started, came off the bench or, or were in the 18 or, or, or not at all. And I think those were incentives that created high intensity environments that drove to wanting to get results on the field. Now that again, shouldn't be taken away that, like you said, it, I don't think anybody plays just to play and wants to lose games. Like you, you reach this level because you're, you're capable of competing and you want to compete at the highest level and you want to win games because that's where the real uh, satisfaction or validation for your work comes in in wins and losses, right? It's the only measurable thing outside of your own personal uh, development. But it's not like, you know, I see all these like relegate MLS teams, uh, we should relegate whatever. That is not in the 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 new ownership groups are coming in and 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 forcing the hand of a lot of the, the some of the other clubs that haven't lived up to the snuff, right? Of saying you need to improve the quality on the field. You need to improve your connection with the community. But creating pro, pro rel doesn't change the connection with the community, right? That's not going to make people come out and go like, well, can't wait to see if this team goes up or goes down. I mean, you're talking about it's just an apples to oranges comparison. I think connecting with the community and doing things right, that's an operating model, right? That's being good at what you do within your community. And and all around the world, you some clubs get it right, some clubs get it wrong, you know? And then a new uh, regime comes in and they're trying to connect in a different type of way of understanding your, your fan base. Now, in the U.S., there is a deep history of soccer, but not necessarily in all these communities and it needs to be nurtured and harnessed and developed over time. So I, I don't want to pull too many things into the conversation of promotion relegation um, because some of it is just pure operational and, and like how it couldn't, you it couldn't, club, it couldn't even work. Club. It really couldn't um, even work. And not so much about like, you know, well, if you added these tiers of pressure, then fans would support more or because I no. promise you a fan, uh, uh, you know, it's even a lot of these uh, fans in the U S don't want to go out and see their team put out a subpar product on the field in the second division or third division because of a bad season, you know, like a U.S. Open Cup game, for instance. Yeah, right, where you have the second and third teamers playing in those particular games. What what I find and interesting empty stadiums, Jimmy, empty right, stadiums, right, 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 and a game where you have some sort of structure where it's everybody's invited. They're generally empty stadiums. Um, you know, they're not they're not full full packed houses because people want to see this type of drama unfold you know i think what's maybe something to unlock or at least think about that i think could unlock that is if you're in the fourth division in this country you just want a chance you just want the chance that if some oil money came your way <laughs> you could find your way up to the top right that you could that there's a direct path to get there and you don't buy your ticket you don't get the willy wonka golden ticket to get there you you get to you have to quote unquote earn it i see this a lot on sporting merit mm -hmm. right you got to earn it on sporting merit. But ultimately, if you're in the fourth division and you get some of that investment from somebody that has bottomless pits of money, is it is it sporting merit anymore? Because you're now buying the best players. And now, yes, I guess it is technically, but you are, I don't know, it's, it's interesting. You're buying the best players to, to solve that sporting merit problem. But it's not really a level playing field. And I guess maybe Wrexham is walking into that now, right? They're buying some players that probably should be playing in higher divisions. 
that are now coming down to play for Wrexham because they're getting paid better. Now they are going to get that promotion that they're looking for. It's interesting. The whole sporting merit part of it is interesting when you add in the financial implications of people that have deep pockets that can solve that sporting merit problem. Uh, but, but I think ultimately, I think you probably have more people engaged in this country if they thought their local team, that if everything went their way, they could potentially get to the top. And that doesn't exist. And I think you miss out on kind of connecting those dots. Now, the Open Cup does that, but we do a terrible job of promoting the Open Cup. And that sucks. And I think if the Open Cup had more prestige around it, maybe you would have more teams sending out their best players. Or maybe there would be more hype and more people in the stadium because you could tell that it mattered to somebody. That the, the production was good, that people cared about it. I mean, it all kind of goes hand in hand. Everything's in. Well, look at the League's Cup, Jimmy. Look at the League's Cup. It's going to be the biggest tournament bonus, I believe, that there has been in 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 North America in terms of winning, in terms of how do you make the players care about it, right? How do you make fans want to show up and support? Well, there needs to be incentive across the board, right? Now you've got high-level competition, inter interleague play, and now you've got bonuses for the players, like you had mentioned before, that are important, right? If I want to, I need to care about this just as much as you do. Yes, I want to go and win everything when I'm on the field. But if there's an actual, you know, uh, pot of gold or some sort of uh, in incentive for me to care and put my best effort forth and therefore play our best team and therefore the players care and want to uh, play in that and develop that into a property that fans, players, clubs, and everybody care about, then it has to check multiple boxes like that, which is, which is again, um, I think a first step, like you said, that that personal incentivization for the players and the clubs needs to be there. Well, what's interesting is that when you strip it all away, it's about financial motivation, which is what Charlie said, I think, from the outset was was something along those lines. Yeah, Chuck? Uh, yep, that's exactly right. <laughs> job. Yeah, yeah, it's a job. You have to you want to get paid. And, and if you do well, you're going to get paid more. And if you're on a good team, you'll probably get paid even more. And you'll have the opportunity to move to a bigger club and get paid even more. Like there's still that. And I think if we can. And then competition because you're playing at a higher level. But ultimately, money is what's driving the pressure because you don't want to lose and make less money. If anything, you want to keep the same, if not make more. So that that's the incentive. Charlie, was it 50% in France uh, if you went down? Yeah. Yeah. I think it was like around around like 30 to 45% pay cut um, in, in Germany. And then some guys had a, had a clause in their contract. If they were to get relegated, there was either a buyout clause or they could leave the, the club for uh, yeah. either a cut price or automatically they can just leave the club. And the club's fine with that because their salary was so high that they said, okay – you can you can find another club. Well, you use use Luca De La Torre, Jimmy, as an example, right? This is a guy who got sold because the team went down. Was that the right move for him? You tell me. He's barely played for the last seven months. Is that the well, right well, move? Well, he's starting to play now, but yeah, it took him a while to get there. Yeah, it took him a while, but like that 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 move was a hand forced because of the finances within the club to know that this is an asset. We have asset value in this guy. Right, we need to right. maximize on this because we can't have a Luca De La Torre that has the quality that he has playing in the second division. In the Netherlands, right? We need to move him on, and therefore, I think that is a that is a, a a chain of events that happens that a lot of clubs, Heracles are now near the top still, but a lot of clubs don't see the way back up for a long time. And are you comfortable not seeing your way back up for a long time as a fan? So, so another angle I want to take is that sense of there's no desperation for for players in MLS once it's been pretty 
figured out that they're not going to make the playoffs or they're going to be one of the worst teams or whatever. And, and I want you guys to speak to your experiences because throughout my MLS career, I saw that desperation at the end because at the end of the season, you're playing for your job. When it's clear to the players and to the team and to the club and to the fans that that this isn't the season that you wanted, it's not going the way that you want, you're at the, near the bottom of the table, everybody's looking forward. The, the front office is like, that guy gets paid too much, we're moving him. Uh, and so uh, this guy's going to probably get cut, he never panned out. Whatever it is, like there is still a, a desperation that exists. You still want to prove yourself that you deserve to be there for next year. And what I saw consistently throughout my time was that I had turnover on my teams of minimum 10 to 12 players every single season. That is a lot. And, and it's hard to build something. Now, when we had a successful season, the turnover was four or five because there was nothing to change. We had everything there. Now you're kind of fighting for how, how are we going to keep these guys together because they're all going to want more money, right? Because they all performed well. They all they, Maybe they overachieved. And so I think there's that desperation that, again, maybe you don't see but does exist. And I wanted you guys to speak to it because I think it's really important for fans that might not see that to understand. Charlie? Yeah, I, I see what you're saying. I think fans just want to see every game matter and that teams can't uh, afford to just coast or chill and and that it's not it's not welcomed. It's not part of the culture. And so the only way you do that is by incentivizing the regular season more so than it does. And so therefore you can't have seven or eight teams make the playoffs. I think it's got to be four, maybe five. If you give a first round bye to the, to the top team in each conference, but that's the only way that makes sense that guess what? There's only an X amount of teams that make playoffs. These teams get X amount of a bonus per player. They get an opportunity to play in competitions that the others don't. And therefore, you know, that's that's the push every game. I, we need to be here because we want to be able to play in, in these tournaments and play against these quality teams. So I think in doing so, that's, you think- that's, 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 the, that's the, the moment that fans are like, oh, because right now you look across the league, the fan bases are only growing. Teams are getting more support. To, uh, the fan bases are also understanding what it means to support a, a club. The culture has really, I think, has grown. The league is is in a per, is in a perfect spot right now. I don't think okay. any of us can, can complain about where the league is, com- considering when we were a part of the league, yes. what it looked like. So, so do you agree though? Because I, I know Heath mentioned that I think he does agree with this, Charlie. That 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 individual game incentivization is important. You you got to find that number that that everybody can respect. And if you're the star player that's making DP money and you're making millions of dollars, you know whatever, you make 3 3 extra grand for a win isn't going to be a lot, but you also know cuz you're in that locker room that that 3 grand probably will mean a lot to like the 90 uh, 90% of your team and that they will be running their asses off probably in a different way knowing what's at stake. If that's there consistently, I think you would see a higher level on the field that that's and i think i've thought that for for many many years do you agree with that charlie you feel like that has to be in place because i don't know if it's in place right now and i think that would shift it a little bit i don't know that is the i'm not going to solve everything but i'm just saying it could help it's like a piece of the puzzle it's definitely going to help but i don't know if that's if that's what i would say that's got to got to be done like that one thing um i see a comment from s27 in the YouTube comment section, he's saying, hey, we both follow the Revs. Revs are not a popular team in Boston, despite having uh, us having a lot of soccer fans. I would say 
there are some organizations and, and clubs within MLS that if they were to move their stadium, there'd be a huge benefit. New York City FC is one of them, and they got their stadium coming to Queens. The Revolution or, or another, they have a fan base. And then there's, uh, I want to say, another 100,000 fans in Boston proper that don't necessarily come out to Gillette because it's too far, X, X amount of reasons. Fan Fest at Fenway, English Premier League, full. Syria in North End, full. Those fans don't necessarily go out to Gillette. But if Boston were to have a soccer-specific stadium for the revolution, I think that's when you say the Revs are important in Boston. People are talking about the Revs. And there are similar instances across Major League Soccer. But because new clubs are coming in, like Heath said, new ownership, that's forcing other clubs to adjust, to become better, to invest more money into their, their clubs. Now, and by now, the way, hold, I, I, ahead, Jimmy, real, real quick, we, we've shifted this argument away from promotion relegation and into like league and club op- operating models, right? And and so I think Charlie's spot on. You move a stadium, you connect with your community differently, you put the time and energy into it. That's very different than suggesting that promotion relegation is what's going to bring people out to your stadium. And again, I, I, I not to say that that both aren't true. Most owners, I think, are now in this place as well within the league where they're ready for a national product. They are ready for a, a shifting of the salary cap so that if a NYCFC or a New England Revolution decided, we want to spend 10x anybody in the league uh, to be competitive, that it can build the model for a Philadelphia Union to say, we're never going to be able to compete as it is. We're not going to go and get four or five uh, big money DPs. So let them go their way. We're going to build our model around player development and they're going to build a sustainable club that commu- connects with the community in a different way. Now, how that manifests itself over time, if you get to 40 clubs and you decide that Pro-Rel is the, is the route to go in, internally or whatever, that's that's something different. But again, like uh, suggesting that uh, certain things that the Revs can be doing better is, 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 is I think, different than, than connecting that to why Pro-Rel would change that narrative. Oh, oh I also add this. European clubs and leagues look at the MLS model and they say, we need that. Because outside of England, clubs are suffering financially. La Liga... Barcelona and Madrid, they're here, and they still want more money. Everything under them, they're they're all looking for more money. They're in some cases they're they're teetering with like debt, massive debt. Mm-hmm. And so if they're if, if all the the European clubs they look at Major League Soccer, they go, "Oh my God, we what should, a model!" We should call it the Super League. <laughs> no, no, no one, no one. Everyone's in. There's checks and balances, and. No, you don't have to worry about one club dragging down other clubs or one club in financial ruin. Every everywhere else in Europe, that is that is what is happening. That's why they're trying to create the Superliga. Out like the English Premier League is the Superliga because all these clubs are making so much money from, you know, team in in seventeenth place, Wolves and and Aston Villa. They have more resources than some of the bigger clubs in Europe. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. And so I want to now pivot though to USL. And Heath, uh, Indy 11 came out and said that they're going to build a $1 billion real estate development in downtown Indianapolis, awesome. which will include, yeah, the, the renderings look amazing. If you haven't seen them, go type in Indy 11 new stadium. It is pretty ridiculous. But a billion dollar development, which will include a hundred million, you know, multi hundreds of millions of dollars stadium that looks fantastic. The owner who's spearheading this has tried to get 
into MLS before. Hasn't happened, but I think this is a real step in the right direction for that to happen, assuming MLS is looking to expand even more. And I get the sense that maybe they will at some point. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I don't know how much is enough, right? If you continue to follow the NFL model, I don't know how much is enough. But what do you think about the involvement of USL, who not only have the championship, which is considered Division Two in this country, but you have USL League One, which is considered Division Three, and now MLS is having their own pipeline called MLS Next Pro that's going to be a comparable uh, third division. And then you have USL League Two. And that's the fourth division, which is where I help coach with the San Francisco Glens, up the Glens. But how important is USL to this whole conversation about what's happening in this country as well? And then when you see these types of moves, Heath, as our business expert on on, uh, this type of stadium being built in in a market that's only being seen right now as a second division market. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, it's a it's a it's a business plan. It's apartments, it's hotels, it's it's things that are going to drive money into the city. That's going to increase the the city's taxability of of those places. But from a from an actual investment standpoint, the club is the vehicle of which you build this entire ecosystem around. Right? Those apartments. Guess what? That owner's making money on those apartments. That hotel. That owner's making money on that hotel. That's a real estate play, and we've we've seen that as like even. Can't remember his name at, at USL. It's it's been he's the chief real estate officer, I believe, is his title, right? As the head of the league, because it is built around this idea. And I've had a number of ch- chats with people that want to come into Modesto or Stockton or other areas in the Central Valley, and it's all built around like downtown revitalization projects. The city's putting money in. They want to bring more people into this place. They want to rebuild the old downtowns where now you can have again. A part, a new apartment housing. You have hotels. You have events. You have again. You're driving money back into the city, which is ultimately what the city's goal is uh, of having these things. Right? They benefit from these, especially when they're they're private funded. Um, it still brings a lot of money into the city. So again, in terms of there, they've got multiple tiers within USL. It's about finding their footing and and where they fit into the the ecosystem. Right? We're seeing as I continue to see. Your unique storylines like Vermont Green, like you have Ford Madison, like you have. In a, I, I know those are two isolated clubs, but you know one is wants to be, uh, you know, a sustainable club from from a climate a climate justice standpoint. One of them is very community driven in the way that they have everything from a cow that comes out onto the field to to you know the the way in which they connect with fans and the fun things that they do throughout the year. I think there's plenty of room and plenty of green space for for uh, clubs to to connect with their communities and solve whatever their long term goals are. Those clubs, by the way, are are individually run. There's no sort of like club in a box. There's no the franchise. There are franchise fees, but the clubs in themselves uh, do their autonomy. own marketing, have their own have their own freedom to do certain things. Some do it very very well, and and some really do need help and are probably looking at other models of saying like, man, that probably would have been easier this other type of model. So. It's no walk in the park, but we're seeing some successful examples. Um, and especially as you go down to like the PDL level of just providing access to players to play more than what currently exists right now. And, and I'd, I'd add just access to watch the sport too, understand mm-hmm. the sport. You know, some of the smaller towns, smaller states that don't have necessarily direct access to a major league soccer venue. This, this is their professional major league soccer venue for them. And I, I think until USL can 
ultimately improve the infrastructure of all the clubs. So every stadium is at least 15,000, let's say 10 to 15,000, but state of the art and the, the training facilities, we couldn't even entertain a conversation of promotion and relegation. That, 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 and then I think ultimately the USL's dream scenario is they raise all of the USL clubs to a certain level and then MLS buys USL. And then th there you go. You have USL. Uh, I mean, then you have promotion relegation because MLS ultimately owns USL. And I think that's probably the, the dream plan and scheme for USL is, man, we took all of these clubs in all these states and, and towns. We raised the level. The training facilities are fantastic. The stadiums are fantastic. The fans are bought in. Now MLS comes over the top, buys all of it. So now you have a perfect umbrella. And now we can say, hey. We're gonna in, we're gonna uh, put into a place of, of promotional relegation because there's it's gonna all be some bitter owners, Charlie. Yeah. Bitter I would owners love, that I would love for Charlie million. to go tell Robert Robert Kraft saying, "Hey, listen, man, uh, you know you know how I propped up this league for 20 years and I'm not like a, a billion into it, and like you're gonna you, you're cool with that club over there comes in at five million, they're gonna push me out." And they're going to jump in, and yeah. Well, no, that, but that's when uh, all of the Saudi Arabian uh, billionaires and, and Qatari billionaires they come in and say, "Hey, we want to buy your club. Here's five billion. And they go, "Well done. Here you go." Because now everybody's going to want to buy into MLS and say, "Hey, we we want to buy these clubs because we can see how how important the league is." So, so that's obviously 20, 30 years down the road. But I think in terms of where the league is now, we're 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 going in the right direction. I would say what's interesting is with the move of MLS to take over the development academy from U.S. soccer and turn that into MLS Next, and now having a lower league, like a proper reserve league in MLS Next Pro, which is more for U23s, which is something they tried a long time ago and didn't, it was the right idea, but they just weren't ready yet from an infrastructure standpoint. There's a clear now, they want to control the whole path, right? From, from when you get started to to where you're going to end up and then ultimately obviously if they can sell you now they're definitely open to do that as we've seen multiple examples of that i think that mls will expand to 40 teams and then maybe consider mls1 mls2 but they want to control all of it and 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 if they open it up or or entertain a partnership with usl or buy them i don't know it just opens it up to Robert Crafts of the world who would have spent a ton of money being a little bitter that somebody got in at $5 million and could knock them out. Anyway, we can talk about this all day. We're going to take our first and only break of In Soccer We Trust. We got some Americans abroad to discuss and their current situations, which might include some relegation talks, some more. And then uh, some of our guys scored some goals, so don't go anywhere. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, Roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. 
Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. So if you're watching on the YouTubes, then you just saw a Champions League commercial. If you didn't, then I'm going to let you know to not miss a second of action from the greatest club competition on the globe, the Champions League. You can follow the biggest stars from the world of the beautiful game, like Lionel Messi, Karim Benzema, Victor Osimhen, who's crushing it for Napoli this season, and Erling Haaland in Manchester City as they try to clinch the most prestigious prize in the game, the Champions League trophy. You can stream every match from the Champions League and Europa League and the Europa Conference League live only on Paramount+. Plus. Try one month free with the promo code ADVANCE. That's an interesting promo code, by the way. ADVANCE. I guess they're in the knockout round, so round of 16 is coming up again. This week, you got some uh, tasty affairs. We got Liverpool versus Real Madrid happening tomorrow at Anfield. That one is probably the the tastiest. We'll see how that game plays out. They were both in the final of the Champions League last season. Let's talk about Americans abroad, though. And I want to talk about uh, someone that Chuck talked about when he was on set with Thierry Henry and Kate and Jamie Carragher. And that's Gio Reyna, who had two games this past week. And didn't get off the bench for either one of them. What are we saying? Chuck, if you want to update your thoughts on Gio Reyna, we'd love to hear him. Yeah, I mean, it's it's back Is it Greg to... Berhalter's fault? What do you think? <laughs> what do you think? Well, well, maybe, because maybe he's still dealing with the fallout of that. I don't know. No, I, I'm not. I'm just uh, kidding. Uh, I'm just kidding. Yeah, I think what we all know now is that Gio Reyna is... When he's fit and focused, he's a he's a quality player. He's got tremendous potential. We we all know that, but being consistently healthy, being consistently in a in a a I think a the right mentality where you're trying to not only make the best of yourself in the environment you're in, but the teammates around you. I think he's still learning, and and. Immaturity plays a, a, a big part in that. We already we already seen what happened with his parents. That obviously takes a toll on you as a, as a young player. So I think for for Gio Reyna, you don't play, and players around you at a club like Dortmund who are young get opportunities, and then they excel, and then all of a sudden your place or your your importance within that squad changes drastically. And that's what we saw in the Champions League game. He's out, and guess who comes in and bangs when he's not playing and gets the game winner, right? So it, I think for a player like Gio Reyna, should he have been playing in the World Cup? Yes. I I, I would say 100% yes, he should have got more time than he did. But it didn't work out that way. The coach made his decision, and you have to live with it. As, as much of it as it pains you, you have to react a, pr- a proper way. You have to be professional. And – do you have to? Can you? You know, I, I was. Well, he did for a while, right? Scored a couple goals in a couple consecutive games. No, I'm saying, go going back, and I don't want to. Now go he back. doesn't play. It's it's it's, it's 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 that mentality, right? And then all of a sudden, you go to your club. All you can do is control how you can, uh, can what you can control. Playing games, scoring. That's what he's doing. Coming off the bench, and for a player like him, you score three or four goals off the bench. You're like, hey, I'm ready to start now. I've showed you I can score. And the coach says, no. How do you react to that? 
obviously something's something's off because it's not correlating with his playing time. With well, the coach said yes and gave him the start. And then, you know, he didn't have the same output as he'd had during his, his limited minutes. And then now we're finding them, you know, but he's 20. Like the reality is, is there's a lot of 20 year olds competing at the size of club that Dortmund are of trying to get minutes and consistent minutes. Right. And, and feeling like they've proven themselves and he did score uh, significant goals, but then, you know, not getting that second run again. So it's, it's, it's yeah. He's going through it. But it's, but people, it's, people have to put it in perspective, player. Jimmy. People yeah. don't put, put Gio Reyna in perspective in terms of when they're making comparisons. He's not doing anything different than what Christian Pulisic did with Dortmund. Not, nothing. He's not exceeding what Christian Pulisic did in his prime at Dortmund. In his best period, Gio Reyna has not exceeded Christian Pulisic at Dortmund. Has not. So when people go, oh, he's he's far better than him now, or he's going to be, well, prove he, it. We, we haven't seen it. Yeah, you got to <laughs> prove it. Well, and also all the people that are were the Greg Berhalter haters and love him or hate him or like him or be indifferent to Greg Berhalter <laughs> are looking at this Gio Reyna situation and blaming Dortmund because Gio's not playing right. They saw the goals as soon as he scored. Why wasn't he on the field in the World Cup? Scored again. Why wasn't he on the field in the World Cup? And now he's not playing again. And it gets really quiet. Or you start blaming Dortmund as if we need to just guide this, have this pathway like Gio Reyna's going through it right now, right? I, we're not there for his daily environment. We're not there for his training sessions. We're not there in terms of the team talks. And it's not like we're talking about a small club. Dortmund are a massive club with plenty of options. And they're just not using him right now or are using him sparingly in the ways that he's been used as a starter before. He's now being used as a substitute player. And that's the reality. This is going to be an interesting summer for Gio Reyna in particular because if he's disgruntled, if he's coming out of this situation and can see that Ed and Terzic, the managers, not seeing him as one of the guys, more of a spot starter, spot super sub, whatever it is, I wonder. Because at some point, to, to your point, uh, Chuck, he's got to show up and play, right? He's got to prove it. Yeah. So so let's move over to Everton versus Leeds because we have whoa, another player. That before we even do that. I'm seeing the, the YouTube oh, comments. Charlie's section. triggered. Uh, he keeps not, triggered. Not, I don't no, read the comments. You I'm, stay I'm, out of those. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not triggered. triggered. I'm, I'm you got him, everybody. I'm, you got him. I'm agreeing a lot with what people are saying. You have Adeyemi, who's 21 years old, and and he came in to score the goal against Chelsea. That's a result of not being injured, not being informed, giving another player an opportunity. He comes in and he's got something that Gio Reyna doesn't, and that's pace. That's acceleration to get in the box behind the back line and threaten you that's that's a different quality than what Gio Reyna has then you have another 18 year old winger in Jamie Bino Gittens I mean that's another player who has shown flashes and 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 I think Dortmund are excited about so you already have two young players who could play in your position that if you aren't fit or not focused or or a number of other reasons why you're not playing and these players get an opportunity they're hungry and they take it and you're done and you're right. A, pl a, a club like Dortmund, you have other players who have so much quality, and that doesn't mean he shouldn't be playing with the U.S. Men's National Team. He is at Dortmund. It's a top team. Like I've said, I think we've all said, he should have played. He should have gotten more, more minutes. Some players shouldn't have played over him. But he got 45 minutes against Holland, and nothing happened, right? So – he still got his opportunity to shine, and if he banged one or two against the Netherlands and everyone goes, uh, well, he got his 45 minutes, and he showed everybody what he should have, been, why he should have been playing, 
Well, he got his opportunity and he didn't take it, right? So I think, yeah. I think that's 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 the the real the realism of the situation. Also, with regard to Dortmund, you have club legend Marco Royce who's coming back from injury. He's going to play. He's captain when he's healthy. You have Julian Brandt, who's actually had a really good year, seven goals and four assists so far. He's 26. You got Daniel Mollen, who they purchased from PSV not too long ago. He's 24. You got Sebastian Allaire up top as well. Not that that's a like for like, but you know he's a big presence up top. 6'3", 28 years old, obviously coming back from cancer. An incredible story, and he's banging in goals again. You got Mukoko as well. They got, they got to your point, Heath, plenty of options. And if, if Reyna, to your point, Chuck, isn't uh, – firing or, or as sharp as he needs to be no they got five six other guys that, that are doing the job and that's what it looks like right now so we'll keep everybody up to date on that another player of ours who probably didn't get the same amount of minutes at the world cup that he liked or thought he was going to get has now had a dip in form following the world cup is brendan aronson and we're going to talk about Leeds. they had a game against everton this past weekend they needed to win that game they're one point away from each other in the relegation zone and they didn't even get a shot on goal. I'm talking about Leeds. Everton ended up winning that game 1-0. to zero. Now, Tyler Adams was McKinney doing the work in the middle of midfield. Does Leeds always get, you know, there's half chances that maybe could have, should have been goals maybe in the season before or a couple seasons before they would have gotten those, not falling their way this way. Here's something of note from Brendan Aronson, and this worries me for him. He came on in the 61st minute against Everton and they scored three minutes later. The previous game against Manchester United at Ellen Road, Leeds' home stadium, he came on in the 73rd minute. Seven minutes later, Man United scored in the 80th. So that's the game winner in that one. In the 60, in the in the game at Old Trafford against Manchester United, he came in the 63rd minute, and seven minutes later they scored in the 70th minute. That ended up coming back and tying that one two to two. I'm not saying this is Brendan Aronson's fault, but that's not a trend that that you want to be a part of. Because I think the team shape changes when he comes on the field. And there's there's clearly a deficiency within the team when he steps on it for whatever reason. Now, I know that opponents are different. Things change and whatever. And maybe this is just coincidence, but it's not a great look. And I'm, and I'm, I'm a little worried for Brendan Aronson, Heath Pierce, because I think he's having a tough time figuring out how to fight through this. Look, I, I, I think this is somewhat inner... But this is why we want our players to, to go to Europe, right? We want our players to go to Europe to do this. They want to high stress, this, right? high pressure environments, and then for him, it's not working out, right? He's in a dip of form since the World Cup. Came out of the World Cup, hasn't really been his his best self, and now he's finding himself not getting the the minutes that he wants. He's playing in a U twenty one game right now that just kicked off a couple minutes ago, um, and so he's getting his his minutes there. It's not going to be an easy run for any any of these players, and. It's going to suck if if we find a number of our players in the championship. The upside that I've seen is that our players are now being valued in a way that if they go, they're considered Premier League players. They're considered top-level players, top-tier players. There's an opportunity for for many of them to move on, similar to Luca De La Torre. He goes down, you're like, he's worth too much. We got we to gotta move him on. Um, and so I, I, I like uh, that he's going through this because you want – we, we do need some of our – we need all of our players to go through difficult times. Now, he's going through difficult times at a club that's also going through difficult times, which is less than ideal. But I'm not worried about a player like Brendan Aronson because I do think he'll find his form again. It's just when you're in a club that's fighting relegation, just gone through a manager change, your form's not great, where do you go? Who do you turn to? Where do you look? It's not as easy as just – it's just being like, well, I'm just going to get on with it and keep you know, doing the work and hope somebody notices me. Like you've got a bunch <laughs> of things. You are swimming against the current. Every player in that club is swimming against the current. And then if you're not in form, 
or you, like you said, Jimmy, the team's not getting results when you come onto the field or, or things are changing again, it's different for a winger than maybe a defender like us when, when those goals happen, but still it's a, it's a difficult place to get out of. It's a difficult hole to get out of because your team's not playing maybe to your, to, to your strengths. You're not playing to your strengths. The team's not getting results. It's just not a fun, fun place, but you know, sure. If you want to be in that, in that type of, if that's what you think is going to make Brendan Aronson a top level player, that's different, but the top level mentality he's going through that right now. He needs to find that Gareth Bale strength coach and, and get on that. He needs to put on put on, I think, a good eight, nine pounds of of solid muscle just for the, the way that I think he's expected to play in the Premier League, especially with leads. If he's able to do that, I think uh it will change his game drastically. One, he'll be just stronger and being able to take uh the the hits in the midfield, but two. I think he'll just have more acceleration, more power, his shots from outside. Because um, right now, it just looks like he's he's still trying to figure things out. That World Cup took a massive hit to him. Let's not, let's not play any games. He was in a great form going into the World Cup because he was playing teams. We're talking about, wow, this Brent Aronson kid is, is can play. He, mm-hmm. he's, his movement is, is difficult for our, our players to track. Um when you think about his match against Brentford, he 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 was a had a man of the match performance, and then all of a sudden that World Cup took a lot out of him, and building yourself back up with a club that is going the wrong way, a co- ma- now managerless club, it's it's a really difficult situation. Now you throw in you're playing games with the reserves, so your ego takes a, a, a nice hit as well on top of that. So it's 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 never going to be an easy thing. But if he can come out of this, he's only going to be better. He's I agree with you on be that. A better player. He's going to get that mentality that is is important to learning how to cope with adversity, which is uh, different for everybody, of course. Now, there are other players that are up against it in different leagues for us. Ricardo Pepe with Grant again. There's six points from safety. Ricardo Pepe, again, their game against Emin this past weekend. They drew 1-1. Ricardo Pepe actually scored a pretty nice goal. Dropped into midfield to pick it up. Good anticipation there. Played it wide. Ended up getting on the end of it. Uh, kind of a striker's goal. Found some space. Turned. And hit it in. Nice goal. We'll see, though. I think uh, Gronigan's probably going to get relegated. That's my guess. Hatafe and Valencia are going today. Valencia has Yunus Musa, of course. They're both in the relegation zone. Hatafe's on 19 points. Valencia on 20. Cadiz and Almeria are both on 22. So they're right like in that arm's length away from getting out. But they need to play against each other. We'll see how that goes. Valencia beat them 5-1 earlier this season. We'll see if Musa gets the start. we got Trois. In France, they are in the relegation spot as well. Playoff relegation, 17th place in Liga. And Eric Palmer-Brown is there. They've given up a lot of goals over the last four or five games. He started this last game, came out at halftime. So that's, uh, I don't know if it's due to injury or or something happens, but uh, not a good look if it was not injury related. But we have a whole bunch of players that are in that relegation scrap. And we'll see how they individually and then collectively with their teams fight it out. Now there are other players. Jordy Pifak came on, uh, didn't score in a zero zero draw against, uh, or in uh, for union Berlin, who are on top of the table with Bayern Munich, Borussia Dortmund, all tied up 43 in the Bundesliga. Pulisic apparently, uh, for Romano has come out on our podcast in the CBS sports family house of champions and said that the Chelsea was planning to sell him in January when they picked up Mudrick and, uh, Mudrick isn't really that great. I'm just going to throw that out there. Matthew Hoppy scored for Hibs. Let's give it up for Matthew Hoppy. Good to see him in the back Woo. of the net. Timo Weah played left back against PSG for Lille. And of the four goals that PSG scored, they were down 2-0 Lille. PSG scored... Th- no, no, no. Yeah, down two. They scored three. 
And then in the last couple of minutes, Messi did some magic, Mbappe did some magic, and they ended up losing four to three. Now, I only think Lee, uh, Timo Weah got tucked. He just didn't look like a left back on the second goal. But other than that, he looks okay, which is kind of funny to think about Timo Weah at left he back. Can play, he can play like everywhere. It. Hey, minutes, minutes are minutes, man. Like minutes just showing minutes. that, showing that he's got intangibles. We obviously know he's <laughs> not left footed at all. Um, although he did score that left footer against uh, Jamaica off, uh, on on that left side, but he that versatility I think plays plays a lot in just building your confidence of being on the field, learning new positions, learning new things. Seeing, I I've played left back, I played right back. You see the field completely different when you're opposite footed in those positions. How you defend and and you learn a lot. And the fact that he's getting matches against PSG like. Better than you know, putting his, his his flag in the ground as I'm a right midfielder and either I'm your first choice or I'm not. All right, so I like that insight. I I played a little left back as a right footer, and it's it's not easy, especially when you get the ball because then people are like, this guy doesn't have a left foot. We're going to take away everything else, and that becomes its own challenge. But let's get into final thoughts. We obviously went pretty heavy on promotion relegation, which uh, is not a big surprise because it's a much debated topic. Charlie, I come to you first. Final thoughts. For today, we're excited yes. for Thursday's show. Obviously, we have uh, MLS starting up this weekend. We should probably do a little uh, jersey review. I don't know which one was your favorite of the ones that dropped recently. Oh, there's, but maybe there's we can talk about that ones. on Thursday. I don't know if they want to be your final thought. I don't know what you want. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I would bring it back to coaches for the U.S. Men's National Team. I hope that um, you know we're we're moving along with with options and we're talking to as many people as we can. I did get a sense that Jose Mourinho would be interested because his contract's up in the summer mm -hmm. and so with that being mm -hmm. um up for debate mm -hmm. you know it's not that you have to put in any type of buyout clause he's he's done with roma and if they're in the champions league maybe he stays if they're gonna promise him uh that they're gonna invest in the squad but i just think it's that much more likely that we could get him to 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 come to the to the states to to manage this u.s men's national team and for me i think that's a no-brainer if you can get Mourinho. i don't know if you guys feel the same way but oh yeah it, i'd get him yeah yeah for sure yeah i mean roma right now currently in third in Serie a on 44 points uh, ac milan on 44 on fourth lazio on 42 and atalanta in six on 41 so a lot of work to do but jose Mourinho, we trust how about you Heath? final thoughts uh I think I'm probably going to change this shirt off the wall behind me because when I zoom in, for anybody that watches it's, it's this on like YouTube, it's just Clint Dempsey with a shirt off. And like <laughs> when it's zoomed out, I think it's a cool shirt. But when it's zoomed in, it's a little bit too much Clint for me. So I think I'm gonna. Right. I think I, I think I'm I think I'm ready to change the back the background. Shoot, uh, I knew you were a fan, but I didn't know you was a. Fan. Oh look, I'm, I, I'll, I'll pull it back out. It looks all right, but like now when I when I zoom in, I'm getting his I'm getting his abs. And 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 his tats, and it's just like it's it's had a good run. So that's my final. Keith thought. is on Clint Dempsey's OnlyFans, like his only. <laughs> only All right, my final thought. Want to give a shout out to the U.S. Youth National Team, U17s, got the the book their ticket to the quarterfinals, playing Guatemala tomorrow night at 5 p.m. Pacific. Uh, if they win that win. game, if they win that game and get into the semifinals, they will book their ticket to the U17 World Cup. So that's a very big deal, Guatemala. Has lost twice so far. They lost to Panama 1-0 and lost to Mexico 2-0, but a beaten Curchao 8-3 and then just beat Jamaica mm. in the round of 16, 2-1. So definitely oh, on the easy. up and up, and they know how to score some goals. So this should be a good test for our guys, but given the talent that we have on display, we absolutely rolled over, ugh, dude, 
some of our players are ridiculous. Figueroa is awesome. Another two goals for him in the round of 16. So I'm really excited for that one. I hope to get to watch it, and I hope everybody else does as well. We are done. So on behalf of producer Des, producer Alex, Charlie, Chuck Wagon, Davies, Hollywood Heath, Pierce, I'm Conradinho Conrad, also known as Jim, saying thank you for listening and watching in soccer, which we trust as always. And we'll see you soon. We'll see you on Thursday. Do it. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.